0: The Great Suppression is upon us. Feds confirm Hunter Biden's emails are real. Trump walks out on a 60 Minutes interview and a struggling bar owner who's actually a wealthy Biden fan.
1: This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission is to decode what really matters with actionable
0: intelligence. One all
1: Make no mistake.
2: America.
0: Great. You're a great American.
1: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst, former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now,
0: welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, my friends. Great to have you here. Less than two weeks, getting down to the wire. Ooh, going to be, going to be a close one. It's going to be tight. It's going to be tough. Get ready for it. But today, there's such a calm. If you look around the news cycle, there's really not a whole lot of big blaring headlines about much of anything. It's almost like we're in the middle of August in a non-election year. For the day, this could change at any moment. Even though you have COVID still rampaging through the country, uh, not the way that the Libs say it is, but it is still out there, and it is still a a challenge. The lockdown's continuing to be a hold on our economy, and a a presidential election... Less than two weeks away, Pelosi negotiating in bad faith over a stimulus or a rescue, I should say, bill for people because of the covid lockdowns. And yet today, if you take a look around, you'd find, well, hold on. Why isn't there really more noticeable news to talk about? How could this be? Well, there's a reason for it, friends. We are in the great suppression campaign of 2020, right? You know about the Great Depression economically. This is the Great Suppression. They're doing everything that they can to hold off on the Hunter Biden, the Hunter Biden avalanche. They're just trying to just trying to keep it back a little bit longer because what else are they going to do? They've already thrown their October surprises at Trump. They've already tried. They had the B.S. story in the Atlantic about how Trump thinks troops are losers i mean no no person who has any brains really believed that but you know there are all these different stories they've tried and hasn't worked but the hunter biden story is a big problem for the media because they went all in in their efforts to make sure nobody knew anything about it that it was fake that it was russian russian disinformation and you can just feel it's it's not working it's not working because there's more And now, as of as of yesterday, we can tell you that there's at least reporting from high level sources in the FBI and the DOJ that, yes, the FBI has the Hunter Biden laptop. And yes, it is, in fact, the case that the DOJ and the FBI agree with the DNI statement, Ratcliffe statement earlier. Now, there's no evidence whatsoever for Russian disinformation here doesn't exist. So people like Adam Schiff who are going out there claiming there's Russian disinformation they're presenting a completely speculative theory offered in bad faith and hoping nobody pays attention to the fact that they have no evidence, no support for it whatsoever. Nothing, zero. It's not working. The story is now out. People are seeing what what really happened here. And I do think that there's some portion of the media that's concerned That the Joe Biden piece of this may solidify. It's one thing for Hunter Biden to be this really obviously, uh, you know, wounded, corrupt, but really also sad ne'er do well. That's one thing. It's another thing for Joe Biden to be directly benefiting from and using his position as part of that corrupt scheme. And this is exactly what the president is saying about it. That's the president's claim that actually could really matter to voters. You know, on the one hand, we just need to know the truth because we should. We should be a society that operates in the realm of, of facts and honesty and decency when we talk about our politics or politicians. And we need to know what's real and what's not. But that's the first layer of getting the truth out about Hunter Biden. There's another layer where it's the media can't be trusted at all, and you know this, Uh, they have no ethics, they have no decency. I mean, even people that I know who are on the fence often about trashing the entire mainstream media, but who are center-right, they will admit now, we've never seen anything like this. I mean, this is true, banana republic, authoritarian, third-world, state media stuff fascinatingly enough it's state media in favor of the state that they want to bring into being instead of the regime that already is in power but that's what we're facing that is what that is what we are seeing right now they don't care that you can look and and understand right away that they're partisans and they've been lying to you this whole time they're building up credibility with their own side this is now a loyalty test you see if you're a journalist in america The loyalty test is, are you willing to sacrifice your dignity, your intelligence, your professionalism in pursuit of advancing Biden to the Oval Office? That's that's the loyalty test that ninety five percent of the media is going through right now. And they're all succeeding insofar as they're willing to do all those things as long as it helps Joe Biden, because they know that. If he wins for four years, at least, whoever ends up being the real president, whether Joe steps down after a couple of years and Kamala takes over or maybe it's even sooner than a couple of years, whoever it may be. They will have a Democrat administration that will give them access that they can all cheer for and they'll be oh so happy while they feel like their side, their team is in charge again. And this is very important to liberals in particular who take. Their politics and internalize it to the point where they really believe that rooting for Democrats makes them better, smarter, more empathetic people. So an an administration, a Biden administration coming into power at this point would would help them on personal and professional levels. And that's why they're willing to do the things that, that you've seen. Unprecedented suppression campaign from the mainstream media. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And big tech also put itself in a very, uh, a very precarious position because now we know when it really matters on a critical issue, if they feel like they can put their thumb on the scale for the left, for the Democrat, Twitter and Facebook will do it. Even with no real rationalization or justification, they will go to the mat for the Democrat. So that means that now Republicans have to look more seriously at how are they regulated? Why aren't they treated like other media companies are treated? Why do they have this Section 230 protection? They're not just a highway for ideas and information. They got a lot of traffic cops on that highway, and they only pull over Republicans. So I have to tell you, I think what we're seeing right now is a media that's in a little bit of a quiet panic because they can't stop as much as they tried uh, the Hunter Biden story. They can't shut all of this down. And they don't have anything to offer in their all out assault on Trump that they haven't already been trying, not just during this election cycle, but for years. It's not going to sway anyone at the last minute. I think they recognize that at some level, you know, talking about Russia and whatever else they're throwing at Trump. Now, remember, uh, what was it, a month ago, the obsession was about Trump and not condemning white supremacy. You know, Trump is a white supremacist because he won't. His words don't come out quickly enough when he says that he condemns white supremacy or something like that. He doesn't scream from the top of his lungs when I ask. You know, he just says, I condemn white supremacy. No, you must scream it, sir. So they've changed these narratives. They've done everything they can. And Trump can still win this thing. And they know it. Just imagine what the country would be like if we had an evenly matched media, if we had platforms on the right, that were as well-funded and well-established as those on the left, as many of them, and uh, we were able to really go toe-to-toe with them, you know, go cannon for cannon, so to speak, with the other side. I don't think you'd have a Democrat win a a national election for decades. The media gives them at least a 5- to 10-point boost over what they would have if there was some... Parody. I'm not I'm not saying if, if the right dominated all media the way the left does. I'm just saying that there was some parody. But there's not. Instead, what we have are Republicans that have to go into debates where they know the moderator, as will be the case tomorrow. The moderator is effectively a Democrat activist and you only have to make some small changes. Think about it like a referee in a sporting event. If a referee is biased, you know, all you have to do is call that one that give that one bogus pass interference call right all you have to do is call that one time call out the you know the offsides or whatever whatever it may be to change the change the final outcome and in debates it's not hard if somebody wants to make sure that one they're sending a signal to all their peers and their buddies don't worry we all know i'm a biden person and two if they want to make sure that the biden candidacy can come out and have some credibility of saying that they did a better job. It's very easy. You just have to skew it a little bit. You just have to move, move the goalposts just a bit to help out your guy, Joe Biden. That's what's going to happen tomorrow night. And we just accept this. We, we admit this. And, and I got to tell you, you know, it reminds me of what I've been saying here for months when we talk about it. And it was great because Rush Limbaugh himself, you'll recall, read every single word of this uh, this Twitter thread on uh, this was back in June he read every single word of it on his radio show and as we sit here and the media is quiet because they don't have a good enough assault strategy on Trump for the moment I wanted to share with you again what my thoughts were and remember Rush himself the greatest ever radio host thought that this needed to be read to his entire audience word for word If one of the already vilified conservative billionaires out there has any stomach for saving their country from the mob, they should buy and flip a major media platform or fund a new one and make it an unsinkable aircraft carrier of true free speech. We are completely outgunned in the platform wars, and it's only going to get worse. All the major social media and streaming content companies are part of the Lib Death Star. Stop sending checks to think tanks that overpay second tier scholars to churn out policy papers that five people read. It doesn't even have to be conservative in its mission mission. It just needs to become dominated by conservatives. Rather, it would soon become dominated by conservatives if it adamantly refused to censor speech for the woke mob. The left can no longer tolerate debate like sane people, but they don't have to. They just point, scream and cancel. Meanwhile, I know ultra-wealthy conservatives who are terrified of anyone finding out what their politics are, because to be accepted among the elites, you have to at least allow those around you to believe you're woke and lib. This is a massive cultural failing of the right. And where are the older leaders in conservative media building up the next generation? Folks on our side seem obsessed with their own brands and protecting their turf, which is a small slice of the media landscape. We need more voices with serious platforms we control that was in June and it goes on from there. Doesn't that seem like it's pretty timely considering what's going on with the media and social media in the last month or so? Well, all during the campaign, but we're outgunned. They've got more platforms. They've got more ships at sea. And we're just hoping that our superior seamanship will defeat them. Maybe, maybe. But wouldn't it be nice if this were the last election? where we had to sit here and say, sure, they dominate all of Hollywood, all of the news media, all of academia. Sure, they have all that. I might say all, you know, 95 percent of it. But wouldn't it be nice if that was the last this is the last election we had to go through that? Because if there was any fair effort to tell the American people what's really going on from those who make a living trafficking and information. President Trump would be up seven to 10 points on Joe Biden right now, everywhere that counts. I really believe that. I think the difference here is our corrupt, disgusting, disdainful media. They are the worst. And we have to find a way to beat them. We can't keep allowing this dominance to continue. That's why I was so appreciative. Again, when when Rush uh, read that on his show, such an endorsement of it from the greatest radio host out there, uh, it just was a reminder for everybody else. This is what we need to do. This has to be the future. We have to build our own battleships.
1: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast
3: emergence of these emails, texts, and videos that were supposedly left on a laptop in Delaware, a really fishy story, whether that was actually the product of a foreign intelligence operation, and obviously Russia would be the chief suspect there. Look, there are so many questions about the provenance of this material. A lot of it does look legitimate. There are pictures of Hunter Biden, there are videos, there are emails, but we have no idea, and neither does the New York Post, whether any of it was doctored or forged or faked, and that's why the mainstream news media has declined to really touch this story um, because it just lacks credibility. And uh, the fact that it appeared in the New York Post and that they chose to report on it extensively um, sort of says a lot about where we are in 2020 as opposed to 2016 when a lot of news organizations reported on emails that had been hacked by the Russians, uh, Democratic emails, and then leaked and they were newsworthy and people reported on them. We're in a much different situation now because we now know that Russian disinformation or foreign disinformation or even this, you know, campaign disinformation, period, is as dangerous to our democracy as anything exposed in these emails.
0: What a jackass. I know you probably heard too much from that guy. That's uh, Ken Delanian at MSNBC, who was a huge proponent of the entirely fraudulent Russia collusion hoax, as was Rachel Maddow, who has suffered no consequences. In fact, Her ratings during that just kept going up and up. She's never apologized for perpetuating a journalistic fraud for the massive journalistic malpractice she engaged in and all that. But she's not a journalist. She's an opinion person. But even opinion people need to be factual. You know, that's why if I get something wrong, producer Mark or, you know, somebody will come on the air and tell me, hey, or they'll shoot me an email and say, hey, uh, you got that one. You got that one wrong. You know, so. It's important. Got to have your facts straight. Kendall has none of his facts straight. Doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. Total nonsense. Total nonsense. We need to come up with a term for this because this has become a a commonplace tactic of the left when something is obvious and obviously true and common sense means that it, it all lines up. It's completely credible. There's tons of evidence for it, but they do this. Well, there's a lot of questions out there. So many more questions than answers. In fact, really, we have no information. We just have questions. I mean, this is a, a, a complete sleight of hand. It's a trick. It's dishonest, right? It's just a way of, of lying about what's really going on to people. But that's what they do. There are questions about the provenance of this. Let's talk about Russia. What are the questions exactly? We have a signed receipt in Hunter Biden's handwriting For the laptop in Delaware, there are intimate photos, not just photos, not like stuff that they took off of Instagram, photos that don't exist anywhere else of Hunter Biden. They're not fake. They're on the laptop. The emails all, you know, if you're running this kind of a disinformation operation, if you were really doing that, very difficult to replicate all the, you know, the the kind of emails that you would expect to be on a Hunter Biden laptop from the outside. What the the Russians know all of his contacts. They know his writing style. They I mean, the, the whole thing, it's. It's so crazy. It's like saying that Joe Biden is not really running for president. There's a space alien who's a lizard with a Joe Biden suit on top who's running for president. That's what the MSNBC security analyst here. This guy's a moron. That's the level of absurdity they've gone to. But no one has a problem with this on the left because they're desperate right now. Thanks for
1: listening to the Buck Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast,
0: the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I got to get access to the whatever the, the Democrat list service or the email list or whatever, where they all get their assigned talking points from the DNC, because I would just love to see exactly how they managed to convince so many people who are, are supposed to think Uh, are supposed to think that mortgaging or or selling out their own intellectual credibility, I mean, looking like total bozos all the time is the price you have to pay now for being a Democrat. You have to be so subservient. You have to be such a little toady, a little quizling. You have to be a little Brian Stelter it the CNN. Uh, Whatever whatever Jeff tells me, I'll say. Uh, I hate Fox News. Uh. That's what you got to do. So he's uh, one of many. He's really uh, an archetype. He's really the quintessential version of the uh, toadying leftist, the, uh, the throne-shining lib that will say whatever he has to say. No intellectual honesty, no journalistic integrity whatsoever. There's so, but there's so many of them. And you have uh, here. I've never even heard of this guy before. Florida State Attorney Dave Ehrenberg. He's he's getting in on this, too. Maybe, maybe he wants to you know, get a promotion in a Biden administration. Play eight. Uh,
4: the president is taking a page from the desperation chapter of the dictator's playbook. Uh, his other October surprises have not worked. The Durham report still hasn't come out. It's not going to come out till after the election. The investigation into uh, the unmasking and spying of his campaign is, is has been a big nothing burger. Uh, Hunter Biden's laptop. That whole thing is Mm -hmm. has been fizzling. It looks like it's tied to Vladimir Putin in Moscow. So he's stuck. And so that's why this all sounds eerily familiar. Barbara's right. This is what we saw with the president of Ukraine, where he's demanding an announcement of an investigation because he knows the power of that, even though it got him impeached. He knows that that's how he got elected in 2016.
0: I don't even know what that guy thinks he thinks he's saying, but he sounds like a complete moron. But let's understand this. At this stage, with a desperate Biden campaign that is running a weak candidate who is too old for the job, who has been unimpressive as a legislator for decades, who was a non-event VP chosen by Obama because, you know, they just needed somebody from inside the system who wasn't going to make too much noise or be too annoying. So in that sense, I guess he sufficed. But now it's a question of stupidity as fealty. You have to go out there if you're a Democrat, if you're going to be a good little soldier for the DNC. You got to go out there and say things that you must know at some level make you look like a moron. You have to. And in fact, the dumber you're willing to sound, the more extreme you're willing to be in your denunciations of this as Russian propaganda and tying this to Vladimir Putin. You know, well, why not just say that this is an FSB or or, or an SVR operation? Uh, Why not just tell everybody that that's it? You know, why not go the extra mile? Trump is actually a Russian asset. Oh, well, they've already said that. How could they make this more extreme? Oh, Rudy Giuliani is a Russian asset. I heard that one recently, too. These people will defame anyone. I mean, if you think Rudy Giuliani is an asset of the Russian government, you're not an intelligent human being. But. Remember, there are the people that are too dumb to understand what the lies are, which a lot of Democrats, and then there are the people that are willing to embrace a stupid lie because it advances their position and makes getting a position in the Biden administration, a senior position, more likely. I always say this and people get mad at me. They go, Buck, don't don't say anything good about the other side. Don't say anything good about the other team. The left takes care of its fighters. You know, the left takes care of people that even uh, you know, Tubin. I mean, I, I I've avoided because I know a lot of you have kids who listen to the show, and I always want you to know your you know your eight year old, your ten year old, they'll always be safe listening to every everything about Buck And show. You might have to explain a little bit to them afterwards, but nothing that would be inappropriate or or you know you would you'd say oh I can't have them listen to that. So I've avoided a lot of the Tubin jokes that I would otherwise like to make. But one reason why I don't have a I can tell you this, if Tubin were a conservative, for whatever reason, uh, they'd be trying to say that he should have, you know, sex crime charges p- pushed against him, you know, that it was indecent exposure on purpose. You know, that's true. No one's even mentioned that. And by the way, I don't think that should happen to anybody. But I'm just telling you the difference in the media approach. You're going to see this Jeffrey Tubin is, you know, it's embarrassing. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, we don't have to get into it, but he certainly got into it. Uh, sorry. I mean, come on. I can't. But he's, he's already a millionaire. He's already got these very privileged sinecures at places like The New Yorker and, and CNN. He's going to come back and it's going to be fine. Anderson Cooper will bow and genuflect when Tubin comes on to talk about his legal analysis. What are the worst legal analysts on TV? Just says stuff all the time that's not true, that's not intelligent, but it's exactly what the Democrat left wants to hear, right? It's what the Upper West Side and, you know, in New York City and Calorama and D.C. and Santa Monica and Beverly Hills in California. It's what they want to hear. And Tubin provides. And, of course, all those counties around D.C. where all the all the uh, rich people who why are they rich again? Oh, yeah, that's right. Proximity to government. Uh, That's where they that's where they live. So but Tubin will be fine. They take care of their own. Do you know what uh, Peter Strzok is doing right now? A lot of you say, Buck, uh, he should be in prison. Right. Do you know where he is? Teaching at Georgetown University. Yeah, there you go. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You know what James Comey's doing? Counting his millions from his book deal and tour and speaking events. And yeah, you know what General Flynn is doing? Still trying to get out of a farcical, unjust, evil, corrupt prosecution. You see the trend, friends? You see what happens Just wait until I'm here telling you about, oh, it's the Biden administration. And now Buck Sexton is having his first really thorough IRS deep dive into everything I've ever done for the last seven years day. That's going to happen at some point. I'm ready for it. The good news is I'm very good at crossing my T's and dotting my eyes. But it doesn't matter who you are. If the IRS wants to make things miserable for you, they can. And Democrats like Bill Clinton, as we all know, love using the IRS against their enemies. Oh, I'm sorry. Like Barack Obama, too. Lois Lerner, sure. She was the only one who was, who was going after groups that said, you know, Patriot or Tea Party or anything like that that were nonprofits. It was just Lois Lerner's own initiative. Yeah, sure. You know, this is like when the, you know, the mafia boss, oh, my, I, I, never, uh, I never gave the order. Yeah, you never gave the order because you tell everybody things whispered in your ear in the back of a restaurant that you sweep for bugs every day. We all know what's really going on. We all know who was really giving that order. To go after the Tea Party wasn't Lois Lerner on her own, folks. But what a what a look, if you're just if you're just judging the other side by the effectiveness of its ruthless moves, Democrats have a lot to teach us. Democrats don't care that they ran this Russia playbook the last time around. They're doing it again. Doesn't matter that it's obvious to anybody how fraudulent this whole thing is, how unfair, how unethical. As far as they're concerned, the more unethical, the better. It shows resolve. It shows zealotry, dedication. If you want to be a good little leftist, you better be a part of the revolution, friends, or else you're a counter-revolutionary. And counter-revolutionaries do not have good outcomes when the left takes over. That's another part of this. I do believe if Joe Biden wins this election, uh, there will be consequences for a lot of us. I think that there will be an effort to use social media platforms to silence even more. I do believe we're going to reach a point where all of the tweets worth reading will say sensitive content warning on them. Those would be the only ones you want to read because everything else is just the echo chamber propaganda of the left. It's all the same stuff. And I think people uh, naturally we'd like to believe that there's a state of balance in our politics and a state of balance in our media. Um, it's not true. It's not true. In a lot of countries you have one party rule. In a lot of countries around the world that are supposedly, you know, free and open or relatively free and open, you really have one one ideology that completely dominates the public discussion and anybody who dissents from it is ridiculed and ostracized and shut down. So we are an anomaly in this regard. The fact that we're even really trying and and that our two party system represents people uh, on both sides of, of very different ideas. There are big separations. I'm glad we don't have. Usually there are people that try to get attention for themselves during election election by saying both parties are the same. There's no difference. And this is supposed to be really edgy thinking. No, that's not true. Both parties are not the same. They suffer from same, some of the same structural shortcomings. But those are also just human failings. It's like saying, well, people are greedy. And lie and don't do right. That's always going to be true. But if you're looking at what the parties represent and what they want to accomplish. There's some enormous differences. There's the difference for one. you know and I, I found this so fascinating. I, I pointed this out. What was it? Just just yesterday. Um, that of all the things that Trump gets credit for, there's one that I think is so interesting. You know, he hasn't started a war in four years. He's the first president in decades for whom that is true. And the media just doesn't care. You never hear about this. The anti-war left doesn't care, never gets a mention from them. Their opposition to war was apparently political, not ethical. You know, I shared that online on Twitter a day or two ago, and it went very viral because I think it is such a, an overlooked point in all of this. I'm I'm somebody who has grown up. I mean, my entire adult life essentially has just been a series of American wars and occupations. Trump is the first president to stop that. And they said he was going to go to war with Iran. They said he was going to go to war with North Korea. It's not true. We have results. This is about facts. This is not about perception. We did not go to war with any of these countries. He started uh, pushing back on China for its illicit trade practices and all of the scheming and and undermining of our economy and, and the theft of intellectual property that China does. we were told, oh, well, that might lead to a war. No, it hasn't. What it's led to is the Chinese government. Finally, the Chinese Communist Party being put on notice. There's a new sheriff in town now. They don't like that sheriff, but that's because he's defending the defenseless farmers, i.e. the American people who are left to the rapacious mercantilism of the Chinese Communist Party's trade policies. Well, not anymore. Now, that's all changed. In fact, foreign policy, where the president also has peace deals in the Middle East, not done by decades of of previous attempts uh, by other presidents of both parties, the president on foreign policy, it's really one of his areas of biggest success. The U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal, for example. Uh, I mean, they say pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord is a bad idea. That, That whole thing is a joke. It's just all a big global virtue signaling bacchanal. Oh, yeah, they're all going to hold themselves to account for their carbon emissions. Nobody really believes that. No one really takes that seriously. Countries aren't going to make themselves uh, objectively, countries are not going to make themselves poorer, certainly large companies that think they have a big growth in their future because of climate change. That's not going to happen. But the president hasn't started new wars, and yet that's never talked about. And perhaps because I not only come from a generation that's been fighting wars, but I was in war zones. I remember what it was like to feel the first pulse from a distance of a car bomb going off. I remember the first sirens blaring to let me know, incoming, run for your life. There are mortar rounds falling around you. I remember visiting a friend of mine, a dear friend, and, and Walter Reed, because one of those mortar rounds almost sheared off his leg he barely lived, and I remember seeing the body count coming in of Iraqis and of Americans, day in and day out, as I was working the Iraq desk at the CIA, and then being in country and hearing those, uh, hearing the, the gun battles and gunfire, being in a Blackhawk when they started lighting it up with uh, 240 Gulf machine guns, because they either thought there was something on the ground or they we doing target practice. I don't even I never even asked. I just remember being on that Blackhawk and thinking, oh, well, now we're in a war zone and there are machine guns firing all around me. This is an interesting circumstance. When you've been around that kind of stuff, when you've seen it and when you've seen the, the faces, I remember another friend of mine uh, who I had just seen, I was supposed to go to a meeting with them and he was uh, SF. He was special forces and I was going to accompany them to a meeting with a source and uh, I couldn't go because helicopter schedule change i was taking a helo so i uh, i had because i was hitching a ride on a military bird and so i don't get to tell them where the birds coming and going and i missed that meeting and the next day he ended up with his team uh, taking down an hvt on the way to the meeting and got hit with a suicide vest and ball bearings i remember seeing him he showed he showed he lifted the patches off as he was hobbling around uh, the military base where we met up later and he had perfectly little cylindrical holes from where the ball bearings went in and he was fine, God bless. He was okay. None of his team were seriously wounded. They, all, they got some ball bearings, but they were far enough that none of them died. And I remember seeing this and being around this as just a civilian CIA analyst in country and then in Afghanistan later on. And we're not doing that to our guys again. We're not doing that, and that's a big deal. Because a lot of people came home missing arms and legs, severely burned. A lot of people came home with PTSD And that's something that a commander in chief has to live with forever. This president has been doing everything he can to make sure that we have as few of those situations as possible. It's an enormous positive because we don't need to be fighting a war. We don't need to fight a war with Iran. We don't need to fight a war with China. We don't need to do this. We don't need to topple a government in Libya. And you would think that people would care more, especially in the media about this, but no. Their opposition to war was never ethical, never moral. It was political. It was a cudgel, a weapon to attack Republicans.
1: You're in the Freedom Hut.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show
1: podcast.
0: This is just a quick one. But, you know, there's a there's a Biden ad that I think got pulled off of YouTube of this guy who's in Michigan and he's blaming Trump for the shutdown not Gretchen Whitmer who's been like a shutdown maniac but no he's blaming Trump it's all Trump's fault of course And he's just a struggling bar owner man he's just just a guy just a working man you know somebody that other Michiganders and people across the country can relate to until it comes out that he donated five thousand dollars to Joe Biden this past summer and he's actually an angel investor and he's rich and the bar is like a A a, a fun side project for him. (laughs) This is who the Biden campaign makes an ad about to show how much they care about the working man and the working people. What could be a more perfect description of Democrats than that? Yeah, man, we just you know, we just care about hardworking bar owners who are actually Silicon Valley tied angel investors who write Joe Biden five thousand dollar checks to his campaign.
1: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: To me, I think we have to remind people over and over again of exactly what the consequences are uh, if you fail to vote. Uh, I've been telling people that all elections are important, so I don't call one more important than the other. But I will say that some elections are more consequential than others. And I believe that this is the most consequential election of my lifetime. And I've been here for a while. I even think it's more consequential than anything we've had uh, since maybe 1860. Because I think we all know what grew from Abraham Lincoln's election in 1860. And we know what has happened since then. And so I'm saying to people today uh, that the consequences of this year's election are probably as dire, if not more so, uh, than the consequences of
0: 1860. It is just that uh, that's simple the biggest election if not of all time since the election of 1860 congressman Clyburn says here so abraham lincoln and hannibal hamlin coming out on top of that one i gotta say hannibal hamlin's a pretty cool just a pretty interesting name isn't it name somebody hannibal one of the great generals of all time um Somebody that I think will have to do a Shields High episode on. So, producer Mark can not note that one down. I think that would probably, once I get out of, and yes, we have Malta already in the books, for those who don't know. Which is why you should subscribe to the Buck Sexton podcast if you don't already. Because these will only be out on podcasts, not on not on um, radio stations. Although, if any stations over the holidays want to play them, we wouldn't be opposed to that either. Uh, but they're, they're very specific history battle lessons that are, I don't know, just comes from a play. I, I'm fascinated by it. So we've done uh, in the past this Mediterranean Christian Muslim warfare podcasts and then the Dracula podcast, which I'm hoping to pull together before Halloween this year. Uh, but I also want to do Hannibal crossing the Alps and that period of the Punic Wars between Carthage and ancient Rome. Uh, that, that would be a really fun one to do as well. Amazing battles. I've read I have a whole book on the battle of there's people say it several different ways. uh he Uh, Some people have been saying Kenna, but uh, one of the most uh, horrific one day losses of life pre gunpowder in all of all of battle history. Uh, uh, Amazing that that so many people would be killed at a time when it was all spears and swords anyway. uh, But so, yes, the most consequential election since uh, 18. That was just my pitch for you all to subscribe to Buck Sexton show on the iHeart app or Spotify or wherever uh, so that when those Shields High episodes come out, you'll already be good to go and you'll be able to listen to them. Um, I had a I had my sister listen to one who's about she's about to have a baby. Like and when I say about to, I mean, it could happen by the time the show is over. She's already due. It could happen any minute. I am going to be Uncle Buck. That's a real thing. I'm going to be Uncle Buck soon. And I single handedly plan to change the the feeling around the name Uncle Buck. Producer Mark, you've seen that movie, right? Of course, it's a classic. Why would you want to change anything about it? I'm not sure that I aspire to be like the John Candy character in that movie, though he is lovable in his own way. I mean, that's fair, but it's still a great movie. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not saying it's not a good movie. I'm just saying, you know, I don't think I want to be compared to that guy. So, the most consequential election, they're saying, since 1860. I I think that there's some, some truth to that. And I think it's because the Democrat and, and this, this is the problem, right? I'll walk you through my analysis on this and then I'll tell you that I don't have great answers as to some of the questions that it raises, because I do believe the Democrat Party is now emotionally and psychologically a socialist party. They don't like that label And they're still incremental the same way that the lockdowns have been incremental. The socialism that we see in America now is is increment. It's piece by piece. Right. It was Obamacare. Now it's Medicare for all. Next, it's just socialized medicine full on. Right. And, you know, that separation between Medicare for all is single payer. So the government pays for everyone's health care. Socialized medicine. Now, now that is a a a socialist System in that you have to move a lot of money around through redistribution to fund that. But straight up socialized medicine uh, from a, just a definitional standpoint would be the government paying the doctors, owning the hospitals and determining who gets what care, where, how, when. That's so that, so the National Health Service of the UK, that is socialized medicine. You are a state employee as a doctor in the NHS. Um, and that's where we're and it's that's been an enormous drag on uh, the British economy. And, you know, it's a, it's a hugely expensive system. It's not a not a particularly good system for complicated issues if, if one comes up. And the, the problem is that the demagoguery becomes so easy around this. You know, it's like we talk about Obamacare now. They say, oh, my gosh, people without, you know, Obamacare, it's like they won't have health care anymore. We didn't have people just dying in the streets all over the place in America because of you know, preventable disease or treatable, treatable medical issues that they were just denied care for everywhere. I'm not saying that never happens. Of course, there are going to be shortcomings in the system. And and that's tragic whenever it happens. But that wasn't our reality. That wasn't what was going on. And that still happens sometimes in this country, despite Obamacare, as we know, which is why they've wanted to expand beyond Obamacare into this Medicare for all plan, although Biden doesn't want to he wants to do Obamacare plus. You see, all, all he's doing is looking at the leap the left and the socialists wanted to make and Biden saying, let me put a plank in between. We'll hop on that one on our way to what the socialists want. And that's really what the Biden presidency is. I think Biden is a bridge to the next administration of uh, of a Democrat that is a full on socialist like a Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, perhaps even a Kamala Harris, which means that it might not even be after Four or eight years that we face this, but just a matter of a couple of a couple of years before that comes next, you know. So is this the most consequential election uh, since 1860 now? I mean, which is almost like saying the most consequential election of all time, I guess, saying the second most of all time Uh, to this, I'd say, I think the Democrats not only have gone socialist, but also have a plan to permanently transform the country. With they first remove the filibuster, and and I, I do believe I am very worried they're going to have control of the of the Senate. So let's just let's just talk about this for a moment. If they get control of the House, the Senate, and the presidency, okay, they get all three. Uh, what would be the first thing that they do? They'll eliminate the filibuster in the Senate entirely. I do believe that will happen. They will pack the court. I do believe that will happen, and. They will move. The the biggest thing they can go for right away is a full-on amnesty. And the Biden presidency can do that knowing that Joe Biden, if it becomes a big liability for him in the short term, which I think it would, the American people are not in favor of amnesty. And when they find out, and they will, what the real number of people in the country illegally is, it is not 11 million. And I'm not just surmising that I'm not just coming up with that. I've spoken extensively to members of Border Patrol and uh, Customs and Border uh, Customs and Immigration Enforcement, and they will tell you there's just no way based on their monthly numbers and this whole, oh, there's net zero immigration right now it doesn't count because of COVID. But in general, net zero immigration to the U.S. from Mexico and the rest of uh, Latin America south of Mexico is, is this is a fantasy that we've all been told to make people not think that there is a massive a a seismic shift in the U.S. population that comes not just from immigrants in general, but really from Mexico and Central America. It's been an enormous change, unlike anything we've ever experienced in our history. When you just look at the aggregate number of people from one place or one culture and region and If they found out that it was 20 or 30 million Americans who are about to be made permanent residents and then eventually the Democrats would want to give them voting rights, too. Right. So first comes the permanent residency and then citizenship is just a step beyond that. That's just a a legislative fix at that point. Uh, We're going to see an election here where I think it's pretty easy to say that less than a half a million votes will determine spread out over a number of states will determine the outcome. What do you think happens to the future of elections in this country, if you add, let's call it 20 million new uh, new citizens, they would say first just permanent residents or green card or something like that. They'd be made citizens within short order. Uh, so they make 20 million new citizens with an average Democrat voting advantage of uh, of 60 or 70 percent of them. Right. So or so let's say two to three to one would be what you're looking at, you know, two or two to one or three to one. I'm sorry. Three to one or four to one would be the advantage you're looking at, especially after a Democrat uh, Democrat amnesty among that population. Do you think we're going to win any elections after that? Uh, You think that that's really going to happen? You have much larger illegal populations in a lot of states you don't even think of in the Carolinas, for example. Think about what that would do to flipping Texas blue. So this is a very consequential election, because if Democrats just get that, it would strike me that they can get the Supreme Court doing their bidding with court packing and they can get amnesty uh, across the you know they could just get a universal amnesty passed you know that's what they remember reagan signed an amnesty bill for millions of people back in 86 and he said he was swindled and it was a bad move if they get that what really becomes our opposition what are we able to do then to try to win national elections I don't have a good answer for you other than I think I think America becomes for at least a few generations a one party state and our debt and the size of government and the intrusiveness of government becomes uh, more and more unbearable. And then eventually maybe there's either a collapse or there's some recognition that the government that that our system has worked so well because it allows people to make choices, to live in freedom and to pursue their destiny as is best for them as individuals. And then when you eliminate that, you have something else. When you eliminate that and you give people just the the soma of government uh, largesse, oh, we're going to we're going to take care of you. We're going to give you your health care. We're going to give you this and that and everything else. You know, I mean, there's a reason why uh, other countries that take that approach that really first of all, if they really take that approach. People always point to uh, Sweden and uh, and, you know, the Scandinavian countries, Denmark, and they don't understand that those are very free market friendly countries for business to operate in. They have low corporate tax rates. They have high individual taxes and a large welfare state and a tremendous amount of social buy in and social responsibility. Right. Everybody works. Everybody gets the perks. That's their approach. But they're not socialist countries. They don't have the government in control of all industries. And if anything, they've moved away from socialism and become much more free market over the last 20 or 30 years. Norway is a bit of an outlier as well, but Norway is also a country that is very small, politically and ideologically homogenous and has enormous fossil fuel reserves that can fund things that, you know, you wouldn't be able to have otherwise for the country. But, I mean, obviously you look at Venezuela, which is a country that was promised that has also enormous oil reserves and uh, largest uh, oil reserves in the world for what it is. Um, And. It's a country that's falling apart where there are bread lines. They don't have medicine. And it's because they put in charge a government that thought it could solve all the problems for the people that would set price controls that use social justice as a means of determining how to run the economy. This results in very bad outcomes. So, I mean, this is just my my way of, of working through with you. How consequential is this election? If Trump loses, we may not have another opportunity to elect a Republican For a generation or two. I think that's real. I think that's true. And what would the country be like if it took 10 or 20 years for a Republican to be able to win office again? What would the Republican Party even be like at that point? So I I don't think it's an overstatement to say that this is the most consequential election, not just of my lifetime, but perhaps of the last 150 years, because it'll be a very different country if we lose this. And I'm right about what the Democrats try to do. And unfortunately, when it comes to Democrats being a bunch of scheming, maneuvering, you know, absolutely ruthless political hatchet men, um, I tend to be right. So that's what I see happening here.
1: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
0: As I've told you all, I have not watched any of the uh, NFL or NBA games this year. Not one, um, which is not that far off of an usual year for me. But I do watch the NFL because my two brothers, who are great Americans, great Patriots, and my dad, another great American and great Patriot, uh, they're, they're like real Americans who like football and can eat gluten. And, you know, they're, they're like normal people that all of you would like to hang out with. Uh, they don't have the they don't have the weird I like uh, tennis and soccer thing that I do, but they, uh, they you know so I watch with them because it, it's fun, fun bro and dad hang time. But I haven't watched any this year. And the most interesting thing that's happened so far since I haven't been watching in the, at least in the last few days was this uh, this hot mic moment. And, and look, I, this is not a big thing. It's not a big story. But I think this is interesting because for me, it's a little bit of a Rorschach test because you can't everyone was assuming that I read one thing and I'm not sure that I agreed with with how they were saying it but they were on an open mic and NFL announcers Joe Buck which is a cool name he's got Buck in his name and Troy Aikman they say something about military flyovers here's what they said play one
3: that's a lot of jet fuel just just do a little flyover
6: that's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work That stuff ain't happening with Kamala Biden ticket. I'll tell you that right now, partner.
0: You kind of heard them saying, oh, all the jet fuel that they're spending. First of all, neither of these guys know squat about the military, military training schedules. Um, They have to fly planes. The pilots need flight hours. It's part of training. So they can either fly these planes that, as we know, go very fast and go quite far. Uh, They either fly these planes over nothing or they can fly them over the stadium. It's training nonetheless guess what? Logged as training hours, flight hours. So they're just they don't know what they're talking. It's not surprising. You guys are sports announcers. They know sports. They should stick to stick to what they know. Uh, but what I thought was interesting is, is that stuff's not going to happen under a Biden Biden Harris administration. Uh, people seem to to say that that was, uh, you know, I, it wasn't clear to me. The inclination, I think, was for most to believe that it was Biden and Harris won't do that kind of wasteful stuff with taxpayer dollars. But I was also thinking, or are they saying that Biden and Harris wouldn't have the military do NFL stuff because, you know, they don't like the military as much or don't want that to be. I, I couldn't really tell. I think it was producer Mark. You, you saw this and I know you actually just want to watch the football game and don't really care about this uh, open mic moment. But was it what what did you think? Uh, which one of those or maybe they were saying something else that I was missing? what What was the point?
2: I mean, I've listened to these two guys call a lot of games, and uh, first of all, I think they're one of the worst announcing teams in football, but some people love Joe Buck, some people hate him, uh, and I'm a, I'm a Giants fan, so I don't like Troy Aikman, the former Cowboys quarterback, but besides the fact, I think they were both being sarcastic. I think it was one of those like me and you having a conversation off the air that you wouldn't want anybody else to hear and it's just sarcasm, kind of like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair I yeah. think that's a fair take, yeah. Oh, no, Bruce and Mark and I have hilarious conversations off the air, but would not be would not be acceptable for the 10 year olds listening on Team Buck. So we that's why we keep it clean here. But we say that we say some pretty, pretty funny, salty stuff off air. Uh, so, OK, so that I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, they were clearly but I just so they're being sarcastic, though, because Biden and Harris wouldn't. Why wouldn't Biden and Harris do that, though? They don't I mean, want to waste the money, or they don't care about this nonsense. That's what I didn't really get. I think Troy Aikman is probably
2: a Republican, so I think he was saying, like, I think they were mocking political commentators.
0: Is the way I took it. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, got some of ad- Wasn't it? Wasn't like a big. People have said way worse stuff. Hey, let's be honest. Troy and uh, Troy and Joe Buck here. At least they didn't leave the Zoom on for happy fun fun time. You know what I mean? Thanks for listening to the Buck, Sex and Show podcast.
1: Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your
0: podcasts. Now they're finally saying it. I've been preparing you for this for a while. I've known we're heading for it, but now it's coming out just just as people are getting ready or if they, I know tens of millions have already voted, but we're getting ready to see the results on Election Day. You're having experts public policy folks, uh, you're having them say out loud that we should just get used to this new normal of lockdowns and social distancing and masks, that this is basically going to be life for the foreseeable future. Let me just say that to that, I say no. Uh, I refuse. And increasingly, we're going to have to get to a place where the refusal is not just verbal, it's not just uh, part of a debate, it's going to have to turn into action. And I mean, I've told my family, if New York goes and says they're going to start outdoor masking on pain of a summons or arrest, I'm going to get arrested. I'm not wearing a mask outside. And that's fine. I'll go, I'll go quietly. The officers will know. They can process me. There won't be any, I'm not going to make any noise about it, but they're going to have to arrest me Uh, because this is just crazy. These people are, these people are lunatics now that think that we're going to stop this by just oh wear a mask put the mask on outside inside in the shower in the bed put a mask on no no not doing it not doing it they still won't even answer the question why we didn't we haven't done this i mean i've been alive for 38 years and never in my lifetime has it been suggested that we all need to wear masks to save 40 50 60,000 people every year from the flu i mean if it was so easy and such a such a minimal imposition why didn't any of our brilliant public health professionals say this look they don't have any answers friends they can't protect us so now this just becomes the the go-to right and it's a little bit like what you hear this is a similar mentality why are the schools public schools not better why can't we close achievement gaps between different groups you know richer and poorer students and why oh it needs more money well, but there might be other problems. Maybe we're not doing some things the right. Nope, just needs more money. That's the, that's the way that they really view masking now. I just need more masks. We wear more masks. Everything gets better. Oh, it's not going well. You're not wearing enough masks. They are monomaniacal about masking. That's what's happening here. You have MSNBC's medical guest, Dr. William Schaap. Shaffner, not like Shatner is the uh, Priceline guy, right? That's a different guy. Uh, William Shaffner, who is telling you all this is the way this is the way it's going to be. Get used to it. Play five.
5: Yeah, Well, I think Tony is washing his hands literally and figuratively of all the nonsense and focusing on the basic issue. If we could control the virus, if we could reduce its spread, then we can open up more comfortably, carefully but we must do it carefully. There's no sense that we can just do it in a carefree fashion. But if we could control the virus's spread in the community, then indeed, we could all enjoy each other's company at some distance in this new normal.
0: The new normal, folks, enjoy each other at a distance. No more parties, no more weddings, no more graduations. No more, you know, live concerts, no more. No, just just give it all up. Let the Fauci's of the world tell you what you can do, what your life gets to be like now. If you don't, you you object to science and you're literally killing people. This is the country we live in now. This is America we're talking about here where this has become mainstream. This has become what the experts are telling us. We have vaccines that are a month or two from approval and perhaps even two to three months from the early stages of distribution. And we're still talking about how we got to have masking and social distancing now as the new normal. Oh, so now what they say is different from what they were telling us at the beginning when we knew far less when the virus was believed to be much more dangerous than we now know it is. And they want to maintain all these levers of control. Here's the problem. They can't control the virus. They can only control us. They cannot control this virus. They cannot stop this virus. And so what do they do? They go with this. Really this moral blackmail of you better listen to us or else you're responsible for killing grandma. And this has been an argument that they've been making all along. This has been a thing that they've been saying uh, from the very beginning. And it's madness. And you can see how crazy it is by the lunatics who really love this kind of thinking and have really adopted it as part of what they say about everything. Um, You have. uh, Oh, are we going to are we going to hear from from Keith again? Are we going to hear from Crazy Keith? Here I am sounding like I'm reading the text of a Shakespearean play. But really, I'm just doing left wing talking points. Miss Precious Perfect. The co-op board would not allow me to continue to live with my beloved feline. Uh, Keith Olbermann. Keith Olbermann, what a stupid person thinks a smart person sounds like. He built quite a career off of that. Uh, but here, here he is. <laughs> he, I will say he has found a way. And he called what did he call me recently? Tex Tex Sex Bump or Buck, Buck uh, Sex or something. Or he, he had some name for me on Twitter, which I have to say I found, I found pretty. I thought it was pretty funny. I think it was tech sex bump, which I like. Uh, reminds me of years ago. There's a team buck member who wrote in and said his wife, who was an, an immigrant, um, called me uh, "Bub sex ju- Bub sexual." So yeah, that was a thing that happened. So, um, sexual with a T. Here is Crazy Keith. Making sure that we all not only do we have the public health experts now telling us that we can't have our normal lives lives back probably ever. But crazy Keith wants you to know that Trump is is it's not that he hasn't been perfect in his covid response. He literally should be prosecuted for the murder of every single person in this country who has died of covid play play 10.
5: We are all tired, but mostly I'm tired of the needless sickness and the needless death. And the needless terror because this mentally incompetent, inhuman, dumb bastard has lied about this disease in a thousand different ways, a different way for each different political need he has sensed. And I'm tired of the thought that we're now going to repeat the months of March and April in this country, a country that should have learned something, but which in large part has been authorized to wallow and die in its own stupidity because of one man, one dumb bastard, one selfish son of a bitch, one real life major French attacking the only hope we have, the science and insisting science is wrong and Fauci is an idiot and only I can save you, and insisting you can do whatever you want, then the disease affects almost nobody. Donald Trump should be on trial for 220,000 murders, death penalty for each count. <laughs> oh, man, he really, is, he
0: really is in the midst of, of some kind of a cry for help or a public breakdown or something. I don't know. Uh, one of the most despised people, including by former members of his own staff who have ever worked in media, they were going to bring him back to MSNBC at one point. But from what I heard, uh, people were revolting uh, at the notion and, and said that they he couldn't be in the building if they were going to bring him back to MSNBC. They, they would have to find an alternate studio for him because nobody wanted to be around him or work near him. So he was the biggest draw at MSNBC for years during the Bush administration. People actually thought he was smart and worth listening to. He says the president should be on on trial, a death penalty, death penalty count for a a virus that spreads freely in the air that came from China. Wow. Wow. Also, 200,000 death penalty counts would be a lot. That's for sure. I just want to know, does he feel the same way about all the European leaders who now have about, you know, if you look at the EU, they have roughly 400 million people and about the same uh, number of deaths that we have with 330 million people. So... We're right in line with the EU, maybe a a few more, you know, a few more deaths per capita. And that's compared to the EU. There are European countries. Right, remember the EU doesn't have one policy for covid. So that's just a landmass or really a political union of sorts. But it it doesn't look at the way different governments have responded to this. If you look on a nation state basis, Italy worse than us, Spain worse than us, UK worse than us. Uh, This is just per capita death rates. Belgium worse than us. France, I think very close Germany, I think a little better, but I, I, I'd have to ask him mean, if we had people that even cared what Keith Olbermann thinks. I mean, now it's really just it's like uh, outrage performance theater. I mean, the guy's the guy's an idiot, but he became rich by telling stupid libs what they want to hear. So you got to give credit to the hustle. I mean, the the, the game worked well for this guy uh, for years I and mean, now he's just kind of sad and past his prime and nobody cares. Uh, But I got to tell you this. He um, he says that the president should be on trial for all this. I need to know why the prime minister in the UK and why the president of France and why, you know, go go through all of your European heads of state. Why shouldn't they be on trial, too? Because they've had lots of people that have died from this. Maybe it's just a virus that hit humanity that was going to kill people no matter what we did. And now we should just understand that we should get back to life as quickly as possible because they're just starting to tabulate, uh, just, just starting to, to uh, calculate how many people have died from drug overdoses, from miscancer screenings that have turned into now inoperable cancers or, you know, lethal terminal cancers. Uh, and a lot of people are being ruined and being killed by all that, too, because of these lockdowns. And you read these stories, these absolutely heartbreaking stories about senior citizens who are saying I I'm 80 I'm 85 I I, yeah I don't want to be around people who are sick but I also want to be around my family I want to be around my loved ones you know I I don't have that many years when you're 85 no matter who you are and everyone who's 85 listening this knows you know you might have 5 10 maybe 15 years left maybe right this is just this is just human truth human reality and a lot of people who are 80 you know pushing 85 90 years old want to be around their loved ones. They want to live their best life. They don't want to be alone. They don't want to stay separated from those who matter most to them. When they, you know, yeah, they they could get COVID and I, they also could have a stroke. They also could suffer a heart attack, any number of other maladies that still kill far more people in this country every day than COVID-19. Shouldn't they be allowed to make choices? Shouldn't we all be allowed to make choices about our own health? And if, by the way, if there's an 85 year old listening to this who, wants to be on total lockdown stay in their home i no judgment god bless and let's make sure that there are people in the community to get them food and to and to you know lift their spirits and to make sure they have access to facetime and enough you know good books and entertainment while they ride out this pandemic that's all fine what we have though is a government that wants to force us to do all of these things and it's training us and this is what troubles me so much it's training us to obey or else And I'm sorry, but I thought this was America and we weren't supposed to just obey the whims of government, the whims of governors taking emergency powers. I mean, how different is this really from martial law in a sense? They're telling you stay in your home, can't open your business, can't see other people. And if you try, we'll send the cops after you. There should be far more pushback on this. And I think that one of the reasons that Trump and Trump supporters don't make a bigger scene about this is because, unfortunately, the Democrats have scared and the media have scared people so much over this, that telling people the truth about what we should do now with regard to covid might be a political liability in the general election. Telling people that we don't have we don't have a, uh, a silver bullet for this and it's still going to be around and we're going to have to live with this. That's one of those one of those truths. I'm not sure a majority a lot of people want to hear it. I think a lot of you know it and want to hear it. But I'm not sure a majority of the American people are ready for that yet. They've been told, hide, listen to Fauci, whatever he says. And we're suffering, and the country's going through disaster after disaster because of it.
1: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
6: I hold Donald Trump responsible for every death in New York state from COVID because Trump lied. He lied. And in combination with his lies, he was incompetent. It was his lie that said this was nothing to worry about. This was a hoax.
0: That's the governor of New York, one of the most important by population states in the country. Basically, echoing Keith Olbermann, every death in the state of New York is Donald Trump's fault. This is crazy. This is completely morally obtuse. It's unjustifiable at any level. But this is where the Democrats are going. Whatever they can say in these last days to make everyone feel like it is Donald Trump's fault. COVID is Donald Trump's fault. Uh, It's uh, it's outrageous. But friends, this is what we're up against. Got to hear it. Got to know. Cuomo, meanwhile, is out there. Oh, he's doing a book tour. He's writing a book on how much he managed to defeat COVID. So he's got this book. What does the book tell you? The book tells you, based on facts, based on data, uh, the greatest hero of the COVID fight is Governor Cuomo. Well, who thinks so? Well, first and foremost, Cuomo thinks so. And so he wrote this book. He didn't really write it. Somebody else wrote it for him. But the book's out there telling you, that every COVID death is really responsible for Donald, or Donald Trump's responsible for it. It's really on Donald Trump's shoulders. It's not me. So that's what you hear from this guy. And in the meantime, other experts who are out there trying to raise the alarm about what's really happening to the country as a result of this fear induced panic that we are going through. Still, folks, what are we now? Seven, eight months of this? Ah. I thought we would be at least understanding of where we really were and what was going on by June. We'd say all right everybody this is going to be out there. We got better, you know, therapeutics, we're doing what we can, but you know, focused protection, the great Barrington declaration, that's what should be the policy, but nope. No, instead you have got the uh, CNN's uh tapper and and the Dr. Gupta saying that, you know, let's censor doctors who disagree, play 18. I can't think of anything more Uh, emblematic of this era, that Twitter had to remove a tweet from Dr. Atlas uh, because it was false. It was against masks. Look, right. It was it was false. He wrote masks, question mark. No. Um, uh, Unbelievable. Uh, the guy who has the presidency around coronavirus, one of the most basic public health measures we can and should take data shows that it could save tens of thousands of lives. And he's saying masks. No. So he's not helpful. He's harmful at this point. And I can tell you this as well, Jake. Uh, members of the task force called me uh, over the weekend. Um, they don't they don't want to be named because everything's a fight nowadays. But, you know, yeah, you no, I, I don't need to hear to from his anonymous. We we, we don't need to hear from his anonymous sources or whatever in the White House. Um, I read the article that Dr. Atlas shared, and it's from a guy who has a a very specific background in this. And he walks through why masks work a tiny bit, not nearly well enough, folks. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex, and Show podcast.
1: Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: What's the word from the campaign, friends of Donald J. Trump, as we're in the final stretch here the final countdown. We got Mark Lotter in the house. He is director of strategic communications for the Trump campaign. He's out in the great state of Ohio. Hey, Mark, how's it going out there?
4: I'm doing well. You know, we're not we're not Hillary Clinton. We don't ignore states we want to win.
0: Yeah, I'm excited that Ohio and and Michigan and North Carolina, these are places the Trump campaign is intimately familiar with. So that's very good. Tell us how things are looking right now. I mean, I want to ask you about the national level Uh, and and get your sense of what we're going to be hearing tomorrow at the debate. But first, Ohio is the state that people think of as a must-win, right? Ohio, Florida, Pennsylvania. What are we looking like in Ohio right now?
4: Uh, No question that the president's going to win uh, Ohio. In fact, a lot of people forget he won it by four times the margin that George W. won it in 2004. I mean, that's how much of a huge cushion he has, and and it's easy to see why— Ohio and Pennsylvania, Michigan, the industrial Midwest uh, would support President Trump because when you contrast the two messages, you know Joe Biden, higher taxes, voted for NAFTA, cheerleader for China. President Trump cut taxes, brought jobs back, fighting China uh, to bring even more jobs back. It's a it's a really clear message and it's a really clear choice for them.
0: Now, what's next on the agenda? You know where the campaign's going to be heading. I mean, this gives us a sense. Let's say, you know, from the rest of this week into next week, where is the president going to be? And I should say the president and the campaign going to be focusing their energy and uh, give us a sense of what the the message is here to close things out.
4: Yeah, it may won't surprise you. Obviously, the states that we'll be in, obviously, you know, we're in uh, we're in Ohio. We're in Pennsylvania. The vice president was in New Hampshire this afternoon. Uh, We'll be in Florida, North Carolina. Uh, Michigan obviously Wisconsin Minnesota Arizona Nevada I mean those are the states those are the states that are really uh you know the key states in this in the outcome of this election
0: speaking of Mark Lotter he is director of strategic communications for the Trump campaign and and Mark you know the 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 president's pitch when he goes into these key battleground states I mean I I know that we're going to be hearing it from him at the debate tomorrow but give us a sense as to what uh what the president is saying, particularly on the economic recovery.
4: Well, on the economic recovery, it's very simple. And obviously it shifts a little bit depending on where you are. Like you saw the president in Pennsylvania uh, last night. He's actually playing clips of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris talking about ending fracking, which they, of course, deny they ever said. Uh, So you'll have those kinds of targeted messages in certain areas. But in in the most cases, is. That recent Gallup poll, 56 percent of Americans said they are better off now than they were four years ago under Barack Obama and Joe Biden. So reminding him of uh, the folks of all of that success where we had historic low unemployment, we had wage gains bigger for people at the bottom than at the top. We saw the income gap closing for black Americans and Hispanic and Latino Americans. So you will continue to see that. You'll continue to see this president say he's going to fight to bring more manufacturing back to the U.S., which is something that Joe Biden talks about but never actually got around to doing in 47 years. In fact, he did the exact opposite. He sent jobs overseas. Uh, So the economic message is still going to be, you know, obviously one of the number one drivers Coronavirus, obviously, is going to also be top of mind. But then the new information that's coming out about really just the level of corruption and scandal going on with uh, the Biden family, uh, that's obviously something that's also going to be top of mind.
0: The president is out there saying that he thinks the corruption stretches all the way to Joe Biden himself. It's not just Hunter Biden, for whom now there's ample early evidence of, of corruption. Do you think the president's going to try to Confront the would-be president Joe Biden tomorrow on this issue on stage.
4: It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, if 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 the moderator won't ask these difficult questions, then you can know you know the president's going to want to bring that up. And and ultimately, we've got to remember that this is about Joe Biden because you know Hunter Biden was selling access to his vice president father. He was uh, he was selling his connections to getting people meetings with his vice president father, who was running the policy shops on those areas under the Biden admin or the Obama administration. So without Joe Biden's compliance, without his knowledge, none of those influence campaigns would have worked. So he obviously knew it. And there's obviously a lot of evidence showing he knew it, whether it was meetings arranged, photos taken. And it's also not just Hunter Biden. We know that there has been documented from mainstream media outlets about Joe Biden's brother cashing in and how his son-in-law has cashed in. And so this is a problem that permeates the entire Biden family. But it ultimately all goes to the elected office holder, which is Joe Biden.
0: Speaking of Mark Lauder, director of strategic comms for the Trump campaign. Mark, how is the ground game for this campaign? I mean, you're working on a day to day, you know, you're, you're in the trenches Uh, Frank Luntz said something in the last day or so about how he thought this campaign was. Well, I'm sure you heard what he said. He is uh, thinking that this is a poorly run operation. Everybody that I know who works for the campaign says that that's just insane. What should people know who are really rooting for Trump in this in this last leg about the kind of efforts that are being made and what's being done to get out the vote in those particularly those critical battleground states?
4: Yeah, and I'll, t- I'll tell you, Buck, I was on the 2016 campaign as well, and it's night and day. I mean, we have the largest volunteer grassroots army in the history of presidential politics, even more volunteers than Barack Obama had in 2012. And they're out there working. And just last week, they made 10 over 10 million, nearly 11 million voter contacts in a week. That is double what we were doing at this point in the 2016 race. They've already touched more than 130 million voters. In 2016, we did 33 million voters. So we are just blowing off the doors off of uh, off of what we did then and won and what we are doing now. And I think that's what's really going to show up. We're seeing it in voter registration advantage when we cut 200,000 a Democrat, the their, their lead in the state of Pennsylvania by 200,000, we cut the lead in Florida by 100,000. We've cut the lead in Iowa, in Wisconsin. All of that stuff you can't just invent. And, and Joe Biden doesn't have enough money to try to create it in the last 15 days. We've been doing this for a year and a half, two years almost, and that's where, th- I think that's what's really gonna put the president over the top. The energy enthusiasm of the Trump supporters And our phenomenal effort of being able to identify and get out our voters.
0: We just had Sean Parnell running, uh, you know, you know, he's running out in Pennsylvania's 17th congressional district. He's a a good friend of mine for many years. He was on the show yesterday. We're talking about this Supreme Court decision 4 four reverted back down to the lower court, which had said in Pennsylvania that they're going to be able to count ballots that arrive up to three days after the election. How concerned is the campaign right now that no matter what the tally is on election night in Pennsylvania, Democrats are going to say, well, if it comes down to Pennsylvania, we're
4: not going to concede.
0: They're going to drag it out.
4: Oh, I'm very concerned. And I'm also very concerned about Nevada, uh, because those are now two states where they're actually saying they will accept ballots by the end of the week that aren't postmarked. I mean, that's just unbelievable. We don't have election week in our country. We have election day. We don't have a tax deadline month or week. We have a tax deadline day. You have to get it in by this day. And if you can't prove it, well, then that's a problem. And it also provides an opportunity for fraud and abuse when Democrats wake up in, you know, machine controlled Philadelphia or out in Nevada and go, how many more votes do we need? And they suddenly go and find them. It should be very concerning. It should be another reason why everyone who's worried, everyone who loves this country, loves this president, make sure you get out and get your vote counted because you don't know what kind of shenanigans the Democrats will pull on the backside. We've got to run up the score so much that they can't cheat and steal it away from the president.
0: As we're getting to the last lap of the race, Mark, for people out there, you know, yes, obviously, you got to get out there and vote. That's step one. Is there anything else, though? Or are they able at this late stage to either to just help in some way with the campaign to volunteer? Or is there anything that people who are listening to this across the country, including a lot of those battleground states, can do at this stage? I mean, what would you for people who feel like President Trump getting reelected is essential to the you know, most prosperous and, and free future of this country? What what when they ask me, I always say, OK, well, I try to give them some ideas. You're on the campaign. What can they do to help, if anything?
4: Well, the easiest thing they can do is sign up at armyfortrump.com. It's the volunteer website. Uh, But if nothing else, if you don't want to do it officially, you know, what I I know the vice president likes to say, friends don't let friends vote alone. So go out and make sure that you get everyone you know to the ballot box. Everyone who's out there who's old enough and registered supports this president. Make sure that if they need a ride, if they need help with, uh, you know, getting an absentee ballot or just, uh, you know, getting to the polls make sure that everyone you know understands how important this is and as a perfect example in new hampshire we lost new hampshire in 2016 by 2600 votes every vote matters
0: mark lauder director of strategic communications for the trump campaign mark i know you're going to sprint through the tape so we'll let you get back to it thanks so much for joining
4: good talk to you buck
1: you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast
0: Got a debate tomorrow night. Get ready for the journos to uh, all tell you what I I, I could write for them now. The script, it'll be Donald Trump lied. Joe Biden was presidential. Joe Biden won by a mile. Joe, (laughs) right? We all know it's not like they're really going to assess this thing based on what's said and what happens now. There's no interest in that. Come on. Come on. All all kinds of nonsense. We know that's not going to happen. Uh, and, and my favorite will be the fact checkers, all oh, the fact checkers. These people, the media is so corrupt that they've actually ruined fact checking because it's it's very straightforward. There are things that are observable and de- it's demonstrably true that there's only one answer to a question. Right. There's only one. Who was president in the year 2002? You know, right. That's, that's George W. Bush is the only answer. There's no other answer. There's no debate. There's you know fact is a fact okay they say things like masks work Eh, they think that's a fact well works how well and when and how and what does that mean that's much more open-ended but they they confuse these things are they these? do masks work to uh you know stop a chemical weapons attack no they don't so masks work is obviously not a just a a fact statement you need to have more specificity to it Uh, But they love to do that. And then they also like to add unnecessary context as a fact check to undermine the point that the Republican makes. So get ready for this, too. You know, they'll say, you know, Donald Trump says that the economy was uh, in slow growth state under under two percent. I think it was at the end of the Obama presidency, GDP wise, two percent growth. And, uh, you know, and Trump will say that in the debate. And then the fact checker will come in from one of these places, you know, PolitiFactor, they're all left wing outfits. And they'll say, you know, mostly true. And they'll say, yes, Donald Trump's allegation about GDP under the Obama administration is technically true, comma. But Donald Trump is a white supremacist. And you're like, wait, what? Well, what does that have to do with that? Like, They love to do that. They love the unnecessary context added in to just take a shot at somebody to Make their audience, the, their reading audience, feel happier that, okay, yeah, fine, what Trump said is true, but let's throw something else in there about how Trump is awful. That's their version of fact checking. And here's uh, CNN's fact checker. You can imagine what this guy's like. Whatever you say, Mr. Stelter and Mr. Zucker, whatever you say. Play 16. Yeah, the the quantity has increased and the breadth of the false claims has increased. What was notable to me about this Friday to Sunday period was that he made 66 separate false claims. So that's not even counting the repeats of these same false claims, like sometimes he'd say the same thing at five different rallies it was 66 entirely different false things at at minimum that's that's the minimum minimum count and the other striking thing to me was that a lot of these false claims were written into his texts so through the course of Trump's presidency most of his lying has been ad-libbed it's just kind of trumping trump but In campaign season, what I find is that his staff, his team puts a lot of this dishonesty in his prepared text. It's dishonesty as a deliberate campaign strategy. They're just like, they're just lying about, you know, everything. And they even lie in the campaign materials and speeches. It's all lies and lies. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going to take the media seriously about who lies when they're going around and their primary talking point is... Russian disinformation is the reason for the Hunter Biden laptops. You have no credibility when you do that. No person of good judgment and intelligence listens to somebody who will say with a straight uh, straight face that this is Russian disinformation, the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, Of course, as we know, there are so many people that don't care. We'll do that anyway. But the fact checker, I just that's it's great. The fact checkers know Trump lies so much we can't even keep track of all the lies. Sure. Sure, buddy. That's the way that's the way it really is. That's how we have to focus in on all of this. It's outrageous, friends. Oh, I'm glad that uh, Senator Kennedy pointed out that, you know, that everyone now is pretty much in agreement. Again, when I say everyone, intelligent people you should listen to. Adam Schiff really is the biggest liar in the United States Congress. Play two.
2: Well, first, with respect to Chairman Schiff, I think it's pretty well documented that uh, Chairman Schiff has a very casual relationship with the truth. I mean, he went in front of every camera that he could and said that... uh, Uh, The Trump administration had colluded with the Russians and then in private testified under oath that he had no evidence in in terms of this. The uh, assertions that, well, this is all Russian disinformation. You can't just say that you have to uh, provide your proof.
0: And that's such a a, uh, southern gentlemanly way of putting has a casual relationship with the truth. Well, as we know, the Democrat Party, when it comes to Russia, has a casual relationship with reality. You know. They're they're really uh, they're really not even friends with benefits with reality. You know, they 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 kind of just are from a distance. They're pen pals with reality. So I I, I think that you should get ready for the most furious spinning you've ever seen at this debate on Thursday. That I do think is true. You'll see. Oh, my gosh. The lying. And I'll tell you this. Watch the libs after watch the lib channels after the debate. It's so much more fun um first of all you should watch the first because we'll be doing some fun stuff there but i mean just pop in for a second and and look at msnbc and cnn and the way they're just like oh my gosh joe biden's amazing and do you see he must be working out he looks great i mean they'll just they're just gonna be such supplicants they're gonna be on air giving this guy a foot massage i mean oh it's gonna be appalling and then there's also gonna be the muting of the mics which will be interesting uh bro cuomo who the president referred to as fredo earlier this week had this to say play six
6: well why is he doing this is this the covid talking maybe the first lady isn't the only one who hasn't recovered i was having hallucinations at night from fever from where the president's point is now and they made a lot more sense than his approach to this pandemic now this seems like a perfect moment for biden to be on tv as much as he can should be here tonight Talk about the pain of the pandemic. Talk about what he would do. Say what's not being done. Say what the fix is. How does that happen? His people say he's hunkered down doing debate prep. Okay. But listen, let's be honest about the debate. Them putting in the mic muting rule for two minutes for each guy, that's going to do most of the work for him. At least he's going to be able to make a case. For a campaign that's trying not to repeat the mistakes of Clinton 2016, it's sure quiet right now, maybe to a fault.
0: Yeah. Joe Biden's campaign right now is just try to ride this thing out. And that's not going to work in this debate. Even with the muted mic situation, Joe Biden's going to be exposed, friends. Can't hide in the basement forever. Thanks for
1: listening to the Bus, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. buck it's time for roll call
0: they gotta bring back that what was that big band era music that we use in that roll call you know they gotta bring that's great those are good tunes man those are groovy tunes you get that on cruise ships now about it. Groovier than Bruce Springsteen, I'll tell you that. What is your I, vendetta
2: against Bruce Springsteen?
0: I don't know, I just love it because the people who, the people who hate him love me uh, when I say that, and then the people who love him get so mad at me, and I, I just think it's kind of funny to troll You
2: have people. like a vendetta against New York, New Jersey born artists. Don't you no, also hate Billy Joel?
0: I don't hate Billy Joel. I'm not a Billy Joel fan, I don't hate Billy Joel. You gotta say, I one of the best like concerts Billy. I've ever seen was him at the Garden. People love Billy Joel. People love Billy Joel, that's, that's, uh, that's true. No, I, I actually like some of the Brooklyn like hipster bands, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. I like weird stuff, so no one should listen to me on that. I, I'm the first to admit it. So, let's, uh, let's dive into the latest here on the roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton to get in on that action. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to send us an email and on Instagram, just direct message Buck Sexton and there we go kevin writes hey buck and producer mark beware fortnite is addictive i'm a couple years older than you and i started to play fortnite with my son and now i am hooked it is really fun on playstation and a great way to waste time i'm also starting to play call of duty but i am not good at all once i get better it'd be awesome to join you and jesse kelly you know kevin i like the idea We, we should create like a team buck call of duty team that would be fun and uh, we could like have a time where we all join and, and I, I, there must be a way to do it where 10 of us or something could play on the same team and have a team. You know, we do the, the you put brackets around your team name for your username. I, I know how this goes now. I've gotten pretty during lockdown. I've gotten pretty good at Call of Duty. I mean, I'm I'm competent, I'd say. When I first started, I kept people just kept sneaking up behind me and doing all these like horrible finishing moves to me that you are due to noobs. Or to bots. I think bots is now the new term for noob. Uh, so I've gotten better, though. And I've gotten the new FIFA 21 on PlayStation 4 because I do like soccer and I like playing that soccer game. Uh, but it is a little bit disturbing when some, you know, you can hear like sometimes they, they have it unmuted. Uh, you know, people will have a, a, a microphone on and I'll hear someone who's clearly like a 10 year old kid who's like, that's right. That's right. Just did that. Just like, yeah. In your in your mom's face or something. I'm like, wait, what? I'm playing a video game. Why are you talking about my mom? It's terrible. Leave her out of this. Producer Mark, people are such savages. They're so mean to you.
2: You know, they're such savages. You know, like, yeah. You could just give out your gamer tag on on Twitter or something, and people could play with you. You know that, right?
0: No, but I, I should I you should know? figure out a way to do that. Um I don't even have an account on Call of Duty. I use one of my brother's accounts, so I gotta set up my own somehow. But that would be fun, man. It'd be fun. And uh, I am. My brother moved to Austin, Texas. Uh, he's down there now full time and he's loving it so far. So for KLBJ fans, I'm now I've got family down there. So I'm definitely going to be coming down probably in November, maybe a week or two after the election, come down for the weekend. And uh, I, I hope I just put out the buck signal, tell you guys that the, that the two Sexton brothers are going to be drinking and, you know, first uh, your first drink will be on me at some barbecue joint that we pick out. So you can come on by and we'll hang out. Uh, we'll, we'll limit it to that being true for the first like 50 people. Otherwise, producer yeah. producer Mark it's is going to say. have to make going to have to make room on his couch for me. You know what I mean?
2: It's a dangerous thing to say on the radio, Buck.
0: Yeah, I know, I know. The first 50 people, I'll buy them a drink if they if they show up. But beyond that, I'm going to have to say uh, a, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a cash bar situation, folks. <laughs> I'm not I'm not making that. Uh, I'm making that big-time that big media guy money, so I can't really, uh, can't really throw that cash around. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'll be excited. To get, I've never been to Austin before. It's been very high on my list for a while. I would have gotten there sooner, but, you know, COVID and stuff. So, yeah, Fortnite, I might, I might give it a shot, although I probably should do less video games and more uh, more time spent. More
2: of you know. those podcasts you keep promising.
0: Yeah, well, I got one. But now, now that I've got one, I got to do more because what's the point of just doing one? So it's going to happen. Matt Buck, I see a lot of self-proclaimed Marxists in a Facebook history group arguing that the Soviet Union was not capitalism, but instead were state capitalists and that everyone misunderstands Marx and communism. I know before you have professed to being fascinated by the failure of the Soviet Union in the communist history. So I was wondering if you could clarify some of these comments. Why are Marxists going around saying no one understands Marx or communism that it is never really being tried? Well, Matt, thank you for bringing this up. This is not new at all. In fact, this is one of the most uh, well-known and absurd uh, explanations for the failures of communism that, ex- that exists, and that's the old, oh, communism, real communism has never been tried, And which is always fascinating because the communists will point to capitalism and they'll point to the failures of capitalism and the, you know, the exploitation of workers and this kind of thing. And it's never in the in the uh, in the mindset of capitalists to say, well, real capitalism has never been tried, right, that all the failures of capitalism are the result of either the improper implementation or government intervention that creates failures that are not that the market's not responsible for, but the government regulations responsible for. And me, I'm not even saying we should take that approach, but I'm merely pointing out you could do this with anything, with any ideological system. You know, real Catholicism has never been tried. Real Islam has never been tried. Real, you know, Church of the Spaghetti Monster, Flying Pastafarian, or whatever that guy who brought that lawsuit, uh, whatever his religion was called, right? That's you could always do that, but it's just intellectually flimsy, right? It's uh, it's not worthwhile, and that's when you have Marxists saying that the Soviet Union was not communism but were state capitalists. Well, the truth is that communism always turns into, in a, in a sense, state capitalism because the people who control the means of production are because of human nature, which Marxism tries to unsuccessfully tries to negate uh, because of human nature, they will make decisions that advantage themselves and disadvantage those who are downstream from the decision making in the system. And as a result of that, you're always going to have an elite class in a communist society that's near the levers of power. And everyone else gets the lesser food, the lesser health care, the lesser everything that the system itself produces. Central planning is the original sin of communist systems. Central planning is an illogical idea. It has to fail. There's no way it could work. Think about this. You go into a grocery store right now. Look at all of the different foods and products and things on the shelf. Now, people come up with that. They design the packaging. They, they source the materials. They, they, grow, uh, you know, they grow the produce or they... They slaughter the, the protein and, and they do all this and they do it at a, in a certain way for a profit. They do it because they benefit from doing it. And then people show their appreciation for what's being done by purchasing it. If you have central planning, it's here's what you have, according to people who don't milk cows, who don't understand agriculture, who don't care, care what the beef actually tastes like. They're just going to make these decisions. And there's no signals from the market. There's no signals from the individuals making choices every day to show what works and what doesn't, what tastes good and what's gross, right? So central planning is inherently flawed because it relies on an information disadvantage and it also relies on misaligned incentives. The information disadvantage is that you're not having the information pushed up from below from people that are there. In the store buying and people that are then looking at the store and also at the producer level, sending their goods to the store, looking at what's being bought and what's not and what price people will pay and what they won't. The central planner goes beyond all that, but perhaps more worthwhile to your question about communism is that the central planner also is always going to is always incentivized to give the maximum to those making the decisions because of human nature. People are inherently self-interested and greedy. Generally, it's true. And want to help themselves and don't care about what goes to the rest. Then, in fact, if the rest have less because the top making these decisions will have more, there's no problem with that. And the producers are no longer incentivized to change that. They're just giving a product that they're told to under threat of force instead of the promise of reward. That's another essential truth about a communist system. You do things because the people with the guns say so ultimately. In a, in a capitalist system, you do things because it's good for you to do them well and you benefit from that. So it, it really comes down to human nature. And that's why a Marxist system is always going to fail because it's against human nature. People don't work as hard when they don't have incentives to work hard. They won't uh, push and spend time developing new products or. We're, or, or, or doing just more output in whatever their, their task is at a higher level because there's no benefit from it, right? If, uh, if I could come every day and do a radio show where I just, you know, read out of the telephone book and you guys, well, you're the audience, so, that wouldn't really, that would, so that's in a capitalist system, but the government was paying me and not the audience, and I could just sit here and read out of a telephone book and get paid the same amount of money and have the same amount of stations carry me, that's communism, baby. That's what ends up happening. People go, OK, well, I'm going to read out of the telephone book. Too bad. And the audience will have to listen to me do that. And that's it. So that's why communism always fails everywhere it has ever been tried. And that's be- it's not that real communism hasn't been tried. It's that communism will really fail.
1: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
0: All right. Roll call rolls on here. T.J. Buck, I think Trump needs to address the Hunter Biden emails in tomorrow's debate, but not in a way that's overbearing. Maybe at the beginning of the debate. Simply tell Joe that he's not going to ask this Joe several questions or several times. This question during the debate, Joe will likely not answer the question. And then for the rest of the debate, Every time Trump answers a question, he just in a quick line at the end. Emails, Joe. True or false? True or false? Well, TJ, I, I see what you're trying to do. You, you want to make sure that the, the point gets across without the president seeming like he's being too aggressive or overbearing. And there certainly will be ways to do that. As for the best strategy to achieve that, uh, the president, I think, is going to he's going to figure this out. I, I believe you're going to see a more disciplined more focused Trump tomorrow night on that debate stage. And that's going to make a lot of difference. Now, when I say more disciplined, I'm not saying that he's going to sound like William F. Buckley up there. Mm, what's going on here? What are we talking about today? You know, it's not going to be like that. He's going to be Trump. Uh, but he is going to be more focused in on making sure that people see the differences between him and Biden. And uh yeah, I think that's, I think that's going to be it's going to be a good night for the president. I really believe that. And this email thing for Joe Biden, it's going to look bad. Biden's in a tough spot. Everything Biden's going to throw at Trump, he's thrown at him before. and We've all heard it a million times. Hey, Joe, did you ever get money from your son's shady deals? If he's just evasive on that, if he doesn't say that's a that's an outright lie, the emails are fake. It's Russian disinformation. I mean, if he doesn't go on full on offense, people are going to say, huh. So it is kind of true. Right? People are going to realize. Uh Oh, Uh oh, happy learned how to putt. All right. Uh, Michael. Hey, producer, Mark and the buck. Um, Sloppy Joes are a staple in my house. Brown ground beef. Add mustard, ketchup and brown sugar. Amazing. You guys must have had awful lunch, ladies, because at 37, my friends and I still talk about the amazing lunches we had back in school. I've made my favorite school lunches for my kids. Shields High. Let's bring back the first three years, even the last half of 2020, in the next election. Well, Michael, you know, maybe I talk some smack about Sloppy Joes, and now I need to give it a shot. You know, maybe I need to, uh, maybe you need to give it a. But do you put, do you put cheese? Do do producer
2: mock? Do you put cheese in a Sloppy Joe? Uh, I think traditionally no, but I guess you can. But 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 but, right. but what about cheese in my sloppy Joe? I don't. Know, I just it feel like sounds it's like coffee. it would make it better. Cheese makes everything better.
0: Yeah, cheese is one of my, my my food weaknesses. French fries, cheese, chocolate. If I cut those things out, you could grate Parmesan cheese off my abs. But French fries, cheese, chocolate. And if I you combine love. those first two things, you have something delicious. Mm. cheese fries. I'm pretty sure at Shake Shack. Which is a staple of my uh, of my COVID diet, unfortunately for my my uh, waistline. I'm pretty sure that uh, Shake Shack the cheese fries are have more cal- more calories all in than like like a large order of cheese fries have more calories than the double Shake Shack burger or it's close. So but Shake Shack's fries are, aren't even that good. The fries are good. They're not great. They're I mean they're better than In and Out Burger fries, but we that's. You know, a piece of a piece of cardboard that a 16 wheeler has run over in a puddle tastes better than Shake. Sh- I mean, it tastes better than uh, In and Out Burger fries. Just saying, folks. I speak the truth. I bring you the truth. Um, here we go, Chris, brother Buck. Your show is one of the best parts of my day. Well, Chris, that means a lot. Thank you so much. Honestly, we put so much work into this, and that it means something like that to a, uh, to good folks like you is uh, is a tremendously encouraging thing. This Saturday, the 24th, is the last Mississippi boat parade before the election. It will be in Biloxi, Mississippi. We've had a huge turnout at every one. But with a shout-out from you, I'm hoping we can finish with the biggest yet. I've got a spot on the boat left, and I can't think of a better buccaneer to captain the ship. If you can make it down, shields high. Also, if you can make it down, producer Mark, uh, we'll hook him up with a jet ski. Producer Mark. Do you like to go jet skiing in Mississippi? I mean, I do like jet skis, but
2: I think we have to uh, stay here because we've got an election to prepare for.
0: That's a fair point. That's a fair point. But I like that he knew that you were going to be the jet ski guy. I it would. Just, I, just, I just wouldn't people... even be in the parade. I would just kind of be having fun with the jet ski somewhere else. Yeah, I huh. just, just Chris, so you understand. You and I would be on the boat eating barbecue. And then producer Mark would laugh maniacally as he screamed past us on the jet ski and used the wake to splash me because that's that's the way that he would roll. So just 100 percent. Yes, 100 percent true. We all know it. Wilson, Buck and Mark, Scarecrow Joe on the left claim that the American people deserve a say in who becomes the next justice. However, Scarecrow Joe, I haven't heard of this Scarecrow Joe thing, won't say whom he would nominate. So how in the heck are American people supposed to have a say? Votes can't reflect a choice in a prospective justice when there are no prospective justices. The same story. Nonsense, man. Shields high. Wilson. uh, Yeah, they don't want it. They don't want to tell you the truth about this because the truth is not an advantage for the Democrats. And so what do they do? They avoid, they evade, they prevaricate. That's a fun word. Use that one today. And they dissemble. Another fun word. You can use that one, too. Team, pass the buck, especially in this election season, a great time to get new people listening to the show. That's how this show grows. I haven't raised millions of dollars from donors to buy big Facebook pages and, you know, create some funnel for my content. The only reason more people listen to this show is because, well, they like the show and you tell them about it. So pass the buck. Get them to listen to the podcast on the iHeart app, Spotify, you name it. Until tomorrow, friends. Shields high.